Hey everyone, it is me again, Lauren, your creative mentor, and I'm so excited to start this month off of my limited interview series. All of August, I'm going to be talking to other creatives. It's something that you guys all asked for. I tried to find a huge range of people to talk to that don't do design work like I talk about doing. And so I'm starting today off with my buddy, Eric. As you will learn, Eric and I... Um, we he's the reason I do this like it's his fault I am like this so <laughs> I get to talk to him he's um, a user experience um, designer um, let's see his professional titer, title is user experience designer but he's also on the leadership team interaction foundation and he is also the AIGA Chicago mentorship program chair God, and I met this guy just at a Game of Thrones rave, and it changed my whole life. So <laughs> we talk a lot about, um, you know, finding what we're good at. We talk a lot about, um, you know, starting in the mud and ending in the high rise. You know, uh, we went through that journey in our careers together. We talk about that. Um, and honestly, like, it was just, like, really, like... Um, grounding and human to listen to Eric because he was just like really transparent about how tough it is to work sometimes when you have a lot of anxiety or imposter syndrome or things like that and so we talked a lot about that um, we talk about how the pandemic affected everything um, Eric was one of those people that um, had to get let go because of like the workforce stuff and, and the pandemic. He was working in the travel industry at one point doing work. So like we walk through that and how that like felt and how it like still feels and all this stuff. Like there's a lot of like really good stuff in here. And he was just like very generous with his time and with what he had to say. And so I'm just like, it's a really great segue. It's a really great first interview to put in here. And I'm just really excited for you guys to listen to it. So without further ado, here he is. Okay, so we finally, after all of our technical crap, got this in order. It's okay. We live and learn. Live, ain't that the truth these days? So, I can't believe I just said that. I mean, Eric, it's so good to see you in my own house in a different room. <laughs> it is great to be here. I have I have the chameleon. I've got your assistant, Brian, the beta fish. Like, I'm well taken care of over yeah, here. You have my whole staff with you while I'm just in my room. Yes. <laughs> You have Ruben. That's true. I have the biggest star of all. Yes. <laughs> well, now that we've got all of that established, my people are taking good care of you and everything. Uh, but let's actually start talking about uh, user experience design and like learning and figuring out where you came from. And I guess the best place to start, even though I want to know more about your profession, is I think how we met is like interesting and relevant. So, um, I mean, minus the like being at a rave part, that's just funny. Um, but <laughs> rave of Thrones, specifically. <laughs> rave of Thrones. So, um, and like, I think it's a good example. So I met you 
when we uh, went to Rave of Thrones. I was at a rave of all places, and I don't normally get lit, but I was. And uh, when you were helping me, when you were so nicely, just the first time meeting me, helping me get in my Uber to go home, you mentioned you did design, and I got so excited to meet another designer. And that led into, uh, because you are the chairperson for the AIG, AIGA? Am I yes. saying? Yes, okay. you are. The AIGA mentorship program, which like catapulted this whole thing. This is all your fault. <laughs> Most things are my fault. I take the blame for everything. <laughs> but like, either way, like you really helped me like find people and resources here to learn all the things that I now want to tell anyone who wants to listen to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, instead of me talking forever, um, you're the UX guy and you've kind of had a fun little a little journey so uh why don't you and i also actually don't know the answer to this so like okay what was your like school to where you are today kind of like synopsis like how did you get to what you do now so school was uh interesting um i actually had like no interest in doing a creative degree when i was in high school um, I was studying like international business, Japanese, all this stuff. And then finally I had time to take art classes my senior year. And I ended up taking four art classes in one semester. And then I was like, screw everything. I want to <laughs> do something creative for a living. So then I went to college. I started out at a state school, University of Wisconsin, Whitewater. I went there for two years where I did a lot of fine art. Um, and then I started to hone in on printmaking, specifically relief printing and screen printing. And the school I was at didn't have a lot of opportunity for creatives. It was more focused on like, if you want a degree in education or marketing. So then I like, I ended up applying to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And I was like, I'm not gonna get in here. Like these kids have been doing art forever. And then I got in. And I was like, wait, what? What? And then I got into their advanced printmaking classes, um, which geared me again, mostly towards screen printing, but I also really got into chemical etchings. Um, so that's when I really started to study more design courses while I was there as well. And when I sort of realized like doing the print work kind of fed into the design work and I could really use those two mediums together. Um, school was expensive there though, like, like crazy expensive, like $60,000 a year for tuition expensive, even with a scholarship, it was a lot. So would, would you say it was like 30 some thousand dollars a semester? Pretty much. Cause that's what my school was like. And I went to like a public art school, not a private one. It was really expensive. Yeah, and they're like, it's the facilities and you get access to all these like libraries. Like I saw like unpublished like Picasso sketchbooks, wow. which was cool, but I didn't, not $60,000 cool for a, a student. Um, so anyway, like, you know, at some point I was just, I don't know, I didn't think I would do a master's degree or anything, but I was just looking at master's degree programs like overseas because I'm like, let me check this out. 
So at this point, like I had been in college for three years and then I'm looking at the school in London and I'm like looking through and I click on their undergrad program anyway. And I'm like, oh, it's free to apply. So I apply. I applied in like April of 2011. No, 2012, April of 2012. And I got in. Wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> Again? Everyone's just opening the door for you. Yes. <laughs> and here's me with my imposter syndrome since birth. Just like, what the fuck? Um, but anyway, I get in. They get my visa process. So I applied in April. I got in in May. And I moved to London in August. So um, London, the tuition there was about a third of the price of where I was going. Wow. In Chicago, I had two years, two more years in Chicago to finish school, which would have cost me more than three years in London, even with living expenses in London. Wow. So when I got into London, when I started going to school there, it was like a design school. I wasn't really doing anything with fine art anymore. Um, it was called University of the Arts London, and then specifically the London College of Communication. So they focused on visual communication and design. And it was interesting because all of my like design courses in the US had been focused on technical skills. Like here's how to use this software. Here's how to like draw this. Here's how to blend these things together. And when I went to London, it was like the opposite. It was like, here are all of these like deeper concepts of design. You're gonna do these projects that use these concepts. And if you don't figure out the technical skills on the way to doing these projects, well, then you're screwed. And they're like, we'll teach you those things if you ask us. But like, it was a very holistic approach to design. So like, this is where it started to open up my eyes to how broad design is. Like I worked uh, on a research team for an agency. This was just like a school project. I was more like shadowing them. But they were doing research with a private school in London about redesigning that school's education system because they noticed it, you know, wasn't up to date. It wasn't working. So like for that specific experience, like I never thought that a place would hire designers for a problem like that. And that started to really open my eyes up. But like anyway, like as I'm going through school, you know, I've been in London for two years at one point, And then I got a job that was an internship with a independent comic publisher. Um, they do a lot of like graphic novels, horror series, psychological things. It was fun. And that was supposed to be an internship. And then I walked in on my first day and they told me their designer had quit. Oh, no. So what were you like designing for this comic or? Initially, it started with like print production work. Okay. So like getting everything ready, doing all the pre-press stuff. Um, I, I learned a lot from this first project, but it was <laughs> brutal for like a first project on a job. They switched to offset litho for printing. Okay. And all of their comic series were in black and white. And mm. the artist had used rich blacks because we were using a process that would print that way. Mm -hmm. But with litho, they just use black ink. So rich blacks will come out all different densities of gray. Uh-oh. <laughs> and there were about, across the series, there were like a few thousand pages that I had to color correct. Mm. And I'm like, I did fine at it. 
it turned out really well. But it was just one of those things where like, you know, you expect to go into an internship and it's like a full on job while you're still in school. Mm -hmm. So like it was cool because of that really like I learned a lot. I learned so much doing it and I loved working with those people. And I got to travel and go to comic conventions all over like the US and the UK. That's really cool. It was. So what were you going to focus like in school? Like were you getting like a BFA in like a specific practice or an overall design? Like what were you kind of studying when you? So it is a BA in design for visual communication, which is a fancy way that they said graphic design. Mm -hmm. um, I was focused a lot more on print design than okay. I was on digital. Okay. Um, also, fun fact, in the UK, a BFA is only for a fine art field, like painting, drawing, things like that. You cannot get a BFA as a designer, like if you're studying design. Well, and that's interesting, too, because like my college was like that. Like I have a BFA because I studied sculpture and then there were BAs for like the graphic design and communications design and illustration. But painting and printmaking was fine arts, like all that stuff. But I don't know, at least in America, how interchangeable it is and honestly how much it really affects how it appears on your resume when you're first starting. So like yeah. no one cared if I had a BFA or a BA. They were just like, you went to school for art? Come in, come do this. Right. Thing. Like you can do the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then like, I don't know. So yeah, so I was focused on prints, so, like working print for a comic publisher was like a dream. Mm -hmm. It was great. I even got to do like things with covers and like, I remember like people complimenting things at, conventions on it i also remember my first typo on a cover <laughs> um uh oh we printed like a few hundred copies of this book and there was like a badge on the front of the book that said like recommended by whatever i spelled recommended wrong <laughs> i would have so and then that went to print <laughs> um technically i wasn't the final check on that but yeah i really should have taking a look at that you did your best <laughs> i did i've never spelled it wrong since <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so like i ha i learned a lot with that um it was great too because the printer we worked with was very hands-on so he taught me a lot about print production so you know i was like oh this is what i want to do all this thing right and then i get to the point where i'm graduating and i'm like i'm gonna you know stay in london i'm gonna find a different job that will be able to support my visa, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but then about two weeks, three weeks before I'm graduating, the landlord sells the house I'm living in. Oh no. And finding an apartment in London is difficult, let alone like when you don't have a job or when your visa is going to expire in six months. Mm -hmm. So, I just decided to focus on finishing school. I was going to move home back to suburbia in Chicagoland with my parents. Um, so anyways, this all happened. I finished school. I left the job I was at. Still stayed in touch with them from time to time. I see them at some of the conventions here in the States once in a while. Um, but I moved home. I knew no one back in the States. Like, even people I was friends with. Like, we weren't... I don't know. It's just our lives went in different directions. You had like no network to fall back on when you got here. Exactly. So I really struggled. It took me 
when I moved home in 2015, I didn't find a job until like early 2016. Mm. So it took me close to a year to find a design job. I worked at, what did I do? I ended up working at Blick Art Materials for a while, mm-hmm. which was fun. Like lots of art supplies. Um, and then after that, I took a sales job. It was terrible. I hated it. But- well, I feel like we've all been there too. Cause like 2017, I had a really similar experience, moved back with my parents. It took me like six mo- six to nine months to find a design job that was worth sticking around at for the pay. So yeah. that garbage happens. <laughs> it was awful. Like I found a design job really quick though. Once I took that sales job that lit a fire under my ass, like no other. Um, so I went through creative circle they okay. sent me a listing for a full-time job. It was for a junior graphic designer for a company that basically is the largest distributor of physical media in the world, like CDs, records, books, movies, video games, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I'm like, okay, cool. This sounds interesting. Um, there were some red flags. They made an offer to me after only a 15-minute interview. Wow. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. So I also just want to pause and just if you're a listener and you don't know what Creative Circle is, one, I talk about it all the time. They're a creative talent agency that can help you find contract work. So you are contracting for the big media people. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I was. Um, But this was actually direct hire. They were using Creative Circle to recruit someone to hire full time. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Because they were struggling to do so. And I found out why after I accepted the job because I'm like, I need resume lines. I need to be doing something in my field. I want to do something in my field. Um, So I took the job. They offered me $26,000 salary. Ooh. Yeah. Personally, I think that, that no one should ever offer you as a creative, a salary so low, no matter what you do. Yeah, I was so desperate, though. I was like, okay, this is fine. I even remember the creative circle person telling me, like, this is the top end of their budget. And, you know, those people want to make as much money as they can at creative circle. So they want you to, like, make more money because they make more yeah. on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the recruiter from creative circle when I was sitting there thinking about it. And she's like, you can always find a new job in six months. Uh, that should have been another red flag. Yeah. When she said that. Um, but anyway, I took the job. Um, it was in Itasca, Illinois. I loved most of the people I worked with. It was a great group, a lot of personalities, some very smart people there. Just a really shitty, oppressive company. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started, they hired me to do catalog design. Okay. They did like catalogs. The audience was mostly like of retirement age and older. They would order physical media through catalogs. So we would print these monthly catalogs. And then, so I was doing that for a while. We were using, I don't know if any, I don't know who your audience is. I don't know if any of them are going to know this software, but we would do layouts in Quark Express. Quark Express, so old. I know. I feel like I was the only person 
in my that's, age group at the time that had ever used that software. That's like me learning Corel Draw in my first design job. Oh my god! And then guess who talked them into buying a Creative Suite? It was me. Nice. So we had, we had the Creative Suite. They just didn't use InDesign because, um, so a lot of the designers had been there for like fifteen plus years, and. All of the work had been in Quark Express or Quark, so they didn't want to redo any of the page templates for InDesign. Mm. Um, but like, it was really bad. So there were constant issues with Quark. Like, we would have issues where things would fall apart. Oof. Like, we would lose entire files. So we would build these files one spread at a time instead of all together, mm. and then stitch them together. But anyway, so catalog design, right? And then my boss approaches me, and he's like, "All right, well, our." A lot of our brands that we own, their websites looked very outdated. So they wanted to start updating them. So what year is this? Like 2014 or something? No, this is 2016 or 2017. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like he's talking to the senior designer about it. And she, her, she is phenomenal. She taught me so much. And she's kind of like really helped me make the transition into UX but um, she didn't have a lot of time on her plate to do this. So she approaches me and she's like, hey, we want you to start doing mock-ups for, you know, a rebrand of our website and new layouts, all this stuff. And I kind of had free reign, which was nice. Um, so just like that, you went from layouts and print to layouts digitally. Yes, literally. And I had two days to get a mock-up of a homepage to them. Wow. That's yeah. also intimidating. Like I can see how they're similar, you know, like you just box it out, but it's still like, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. And you just like try something and go like, it's all you could do. Yes, it exactly. And we were using Photoshop, not mm. sketch. So the precision for layouts and things like that weren't really there. But like I do that for a while with this company. I'm really unhappy with what I'm making at this company. And I realized, like, I don't want to do the catalog design anymore. Like, I want to do UI, UX, web, like, all of that good stuff. So then I joined the AIGA mentorship program as a mentee. And my mentor, like, I'm at this point, too, so I'm working full-time as a designer, right? I'm also working about 30 hours a week at Starbucks as a barista to compensate for not making enough of a salary. Mm, so I was working... 3.30 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday. Wow. No thanks. Yeah. It was rough. Um, wound up in the hospital from Ooh. dehydration and exhaustion. Don't work yourself to death. It's not worth it. Oh, no. Boundaries, Eric. Boundaries. Your <laughs> podcast is teaching me about those. <laughs> <laughs> Boundaries. <laughs> But um, so I was doing this mentorship program, right? And my mentor, Amy Reyes, um, she started to talk about like how her company had been hiring. They'd been looking for a senior level UX UI designer. And she, every time like we'd meet, she'd come in with a story about how we made an offer to someone and the offer was too low for a senior level designer. And mm -hmm. it was like, so I was like, that sounds like the salary range for like a mid-level designer. 
it was still low. I didn't realize it at the time though. But anyway, we start talking and she approaches me and she's like, I've talked to my team. I've talked to HR. We want to bump this down and we want you to apply for the role and interview for it. I was like, sure, cool, whatever. And then I did that and I got the job. And I was so excited because it was paying more than double. It was almost triple what I was making at my previous job. So 150% more money for you. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Because of um, job hopping also, by the way. Yes. Hot topic on TikTok right now, job hopping. It basically meant that I no longer had to work at Starbucks and at full time as a designer at the same time, which mm -hmm. was life changing. Yeah. Um, so that happened. And I learned a lot. That's where I really got into like UX and where I really started to like pull things apart and learn like all the corporate jargon and like it was really cool. So like it was nice because like my boss had also had a visual design background prior to getting into UX. So like she understood how to bridge that knowledge gap mm -hmm. and where we could look to find things to like fill things up. And then that started to lead towards me learning front end development skills. So like I'm kind of going for full stack designer at this point where like I can do it all. Mm -hmm. But, you know, boundaries. <laughs> Act your wage, boundaries. Don't yes. be impatient with your growth. I'm that right now. So like I get it. It's tough. I am too. Like, so I worked at Scientific Games that was like two and a half years in that UX role with my mentor and it was good. Um, what started to run into issue was like, I would be learning all these new skills. I would be taking these front end development courses like and applying that in my work. I would be talked about like, all right, we're working towards a promotion for you or things like that. And then it would come time to do it and the company would be like, well, we don't wanna pay for that. Or same thing when even like, I never got like a cost of living raise. Mm. So like this happened multiple times. There mm -hmm. would be talks of like promotions or raises or things like that and nothing ever happened. This happened, this conversation happened about three or four times, probably about every six months I was there. This would come up again. Mm -hmm. So then at one point I was like, all right, I'm gonna start looking for a new job. And so the other times it took me like year a year to like even just like a few months to find a job. This time from after scientific games, it took me about two weeks to find a job. Wow. It's crazy once you get some experience on paper, like the doors that open for you. So go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like that's like the number one fear a lot of people have. Cause like we remember, we remember how hard it was to like get the foot in the door, but I don't think a lot of people have the perspective of like your first design job or maybe your first two design jobs. Like you're just trying to find anyone who's going to give you a shot. Cause that's what you need. You just need a shot. Yeah. And then like, you'll explode into the role in whatever way. Cause you're just so happy to be working in design at all or create the creative industry at all and like then as you accumulate all these skills and you learn 
I want to go back to corporate jargon like later. Yes. But as you learn how all of that works, then you you can start speaking this new language you're learning on like how to sell what you do because you understand the value of what you do and you're not being appreciated for value or you're ready to grow into something else as you move through your career. And I think a lot of, cause I felt like this, a lot of beginning designers, like they, that's the biggest fear. What if I find nothing? What if there's not anything better out there? And it's just like, right. sh shut up. There's better things out there. <laughs> like with that job I had that paid me 26,000. I was living at home. I wasn't paying any other expenses besides a car payment. Um, I was still on my parents' insurance, all that stuff. Um, but my take-home pay at that time, my loans were in deferment still at this point. So I was okay. I had about a year left where I could defer my loans. But my loan payments were more than my take-home pay at that time. Ooh, that's so that's, that's why when that year started to run out, I had to get that job at Starbucks because then what I was making at Starbucks could offset enough so I could pay that and still have some money in my pocket. But like, then I got the scientific games job and I was like, all right, cool. I'm good with this for a while. And then I started to outgrow that position. There was no growth happening within the company for me. So I said, I found a job within about two weeks. Um, I went and started like I had interviews coming. I had seven interviews in one week and I was like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> um, there were some that I was like, not super interested in, but I'm like, let me hear what this is about. I can get some practice. In. And then one came in from, so there's a recruiting agency called Wonderland group. Okay. And one came in from them about a position with United airlines. And I had wanted to work there. My mom worked there my whole life growing up. I had those flight benefits. Like, I loved it. And I had wanted to work there. So, like, they call me. They're like, hey, we want to set up this interview with United Airlines for a UX designer position. You would be working on their homepage of their website, which gets millions of people a day. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, oh, shit, this is great. So I went in for an interview on a Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Interview was about an hour. I met with the director. I met with the manager. And then I met with the person, the other designer I'd be working directly with. Um, the interview went pretty well. We were talking through my work. Um, I'd worked in a lot of heavy, heavily regulated industries, which United Airlines is. Mm -hmm. So even though I hadn't worked in travel or aviation before, I could still say like I've worked in highly regulated government industries. Mm -hmm. So I can apply all of those restrictions that come from those other industries and know how to work with those constraints here. And then we're walking around, the director's giving me like a quick tour of the office and we walk by a conference room and my buddy Ace is sitting in a conference room and he literally pokes his head out and he's just like, ah, oh, Eric. So I say hi to him, right? And then it's just funny because, like, you know, that was cool. I was like, oh, cool. I would like to work with him. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. um, so then, like, you know, the tour winds down. They walk me out of the office. I go back to work for the rest of the day at my job. I'm kind of on a high because I'm like, I think that interview went well. Right. And, like, creative – or what, sorry, not creative circle. Wonderland group asked me, you know, how did the interview go? So I was telling them, like, I liked it. I enjoyed this. This happened. 
And then they also were like, are you interviewing anywhere else? Let us know so we can like, you know, see what's happening. I'm like, yeah, I'm interviewing with six other companies all this week. And I've interviewed with some of them already because this was the end of the week now. Right. And she was like, all right, I'll see what happens with it. I was like, I expressed her. I'm like, I'm interested in United. So I get an email at 7.30 in the morning on Friday with a job offer from United. Wow. Yeah, they moved quick. And that felt really good, too, to be, like, wanted like that professionally. Yeah. And then it was a contract role, so that was new for me, but I was ready for it. I was like, yes. And then, um, so I ended up, where I ended up leaving at Scientific Games, I was around $60,000 when I left there was my salary. So... I get my hourly rate from Creative Circle that we had talked about. Comes in a little higher than what I was thinking even. Comes in at 45 an hour, which equates to like 95,000 a year. Yeah. I started crying. Because at that point too, I was still not making that much on top of my other expenses. And my student loans like had just refinanced so those payments started to go down. Like, mm-hmm. I was renting a dining room in someone's apartment on the north side of the city. I had curtains instead of a door for my room. Mm. Like, that was all I could afford. The rent was 400 a month. Wow. So, like, the United stuff comes through, and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I can live. I can, yeah. like, breathe. Yeah. And I loved working there. I learned a lot about accessibility there. People were smart. It was fun. Played a lot of pranks on people. I got to work with one of my best friends. So it was all really great. And there were talks of bringing me on full time. Mm -hmm. Um, On a Monday in March of 2020, there were talks of bringing me on full time. I went and met with Wonderland Group. And they said United is very happy with me and all this stuff, right? And then on Thursday of that same week... Uh, we found out United was letting all of their contractors in my division go because of the uh, the Panera, the pandemic. Yeah, I remember that. Like, that was, like, news for everybody. Like, that was, like, the first big, this is really serious and affecting a bunch of industries. And, like, this isn't just two weeks anymore. Like, yeah. United was the first to, like, cut a huge chunk of their workforce. Yeah, because once flights to Europe got canceled, like that was United's biggest source of revenue for that. Mm -hmm. They had to do something. So Mm -hmm. it was just weird to be like starting that week, like thinking I'm going to land a full time offer. Right. And then to have it turn around and kind of implode. Yeah, so that was rough. I'd never been laid off before. I'd never been fired from a job before. Like nothing like that. Mm -hmm. So that was really tough, especially from a job that I really liked. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, though, didn't take me long to find a new job. Um, (laughs) Took me about six weeks. I was very fortunate. I feel like I was extremely lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked for a financial institution as a UX designer. It was terrible. Oh, no. Like, there was zero onboarding. I was the only designer. They were still people that were, like, 
the mentality it was just very outdated well like and they were th- yeah and you had to like do all this virtually which no one knew what we were doing at the time right yep i was working on a virtual windows desktop from my personal macbook oh it was terrible especially for like what your job is yikes big yikes yep and like it was just awful the company culture was really bad um at one point they wanted to transition my role to be more of a developer which i was fine with but then they were like we're not going to decide if we're going to renew your contract until the day of like it ending so that's when i started looking for another job Right. No promises. Got to keep looking. And now I wound up where I am today at Closer Look, which is like a biopharma agency. So I started contracting them. It was a three-month contract. And then my contract got renewed. So like I started there in October of 2020. My contract got renewed in January of 2021. And then a couple weeks contract gave me a full-time offer. Like that wasn't their intent either. The opportunity came up and I expressed interest in it. My boss did. So did a lot of my coworkers. And then I secured a full-time offer and was like, oh crap. (laughs) And it was for less than I was making as a contractor. However, because the benefits and things were so much better, my take home was the same. So, so it balanced out. Yeah, the the value of what you wanted and needed and also like the climate we were all living in. It was like what kind of like the beginnings of the pandemic but we all knew it was serious. Yes. It it is just crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I work a lot of hours sometimes, like I'm fine doing that though. But like every once in a while it's a little rough, but overall I really love the job. Like the problems at this job are things I'm happy to deal with. Right. And I think that's like a big thing too. And like you touched on a lot of stuff I want to like dig into a little bit. Yes. But, um, you know, I think, I think the number one adjustment to being a creative in the workforce, however you manage to do it is like being okay with the fact that nothing will ever pan out or happen day to day or long-term the way that you think it will. And that doesn't have to be frustrating. It will be at times, but it doesn't have to be. And there's like a lot of wiggle room to write how you want your story to go, where I don't think a lot of other professions have that strange yet frustrating at times flexibility. (laughs) Yes. It's like, I don't know with what, we do like it's just one of those things where you can really carve your own path Mm -hmm. like i wound up turning into like a developer for a while and i loved it and i think like i don't know i just think it's interesting i feel like creative anyone working in a creative field or any type of creative like your skills are very transferable to a lot of things that people don't realize until you show them that Hmm. And like, would you say that a lot of your progress was just because you were vocal about your interest for where you were and what you wanted? Yeah. And I would say a big part of it, too, was like, I'm the type of person where like, I'm just going to solve this problem. 
like, <laughs> here, let me show you this thing. Like one of my companies, we started like going into sports betting in the European market. And the app that the team was doing just it it looked like a low fidelity wireframe, but it was the app. Mm-hmm. So like I just did a quick mock-up of like, you know, here's what this could look like if you actually put some like polish on it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like the company was consulting with my design team instead of the one doing the app for the app. And like things like that happen because it's like someone will see something they like and they're like, oh, we need that over here. Yeah, I find that a lot at my job too. And like, I think in my company organization, which is a whole other thing I want to get into as well, um, the creative department with the way that our teams work have a lot, like it has a lot of say, which I think is very valuable because even if like we don't do a lot of the stuff, at least we said it and it's in everyone's mind. And if there's budget for stuff, like people are willing to try things And I think that's the biggest like learning curve I took away from working so much is like, just say stuff, like just show people things, just bring your interests to work. Cause like I work in sports. I don't, I'm not a sports person, but I couldn't tell you how many times I brought like screenshots of Star Trek openings into like brainstorms to show like a look and feel for something or tiktok references oh my god i bring them every day all the time like (laughs) and so i just i think that's a really like unconsidered thing because it took me a while to figure that out like just say what you mean say what you want and like explore everything because i think um, I'll probably say this a lot in these interviews because I think it's really a big deal. But I think a lot of people feel like they have to have one answer to the question. What are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? What's your career? What are you going to do to be happy but work every day and blah, blah, blah. And it's like there isn't one answer. You just have to dig around. Exactly. And so like with digging around like you know you started in print and then you like just transferred your um catalog layout work into wireframing and like built off of that um but you mentioned like you had a manager kind of teach you more about that like um how do you think how common do you think that is i guess is more the question because i definitely have run into people in my profession everywhere that would just take a second to show me something. And that made me like 10 minutes of their knowledge made me, I would, I would joke around like $5,000 more important to learn. I like that saying that's, (laughs) I think like, I will say I've encountered that most places I've worked. Um, I think a big part of it that comes from like the creative side of things is just that like, we want to share our knowledge with people. And there are things like, It's weird too. So like the way I kind of look at this, um, I can actually pull an example from my work right now. So I have used like Sketch, that app for like every day for like the last five years. Mm -hmm. And so like, I've also was put into like what's called like Sketch master classes where you learn like the ins and outs of it, like in depth. And so like I was working on this project recently And here are things that I think are common knowledge with this software, right? Like building all of like these nested symbols, creating your different hover states and inactive states as different layer styles and just switching them on and off throughout your whole design. 
And then I get into someone's file and I'm like, why is everything a one-off? Why aren't there symbols? Why aren't these nested in together? What is happening here? Because, I mean, we have like 60 pages on this website. So think of it this way. Every time that person wanted to update their header, they have to update it on each page, even though it's a global change that goes across like every screen. Mm -hmm. So like when I look at things like that and I was talking to this person about that and she was like, I didn't know you could do that. And I'm like, it's things like that where I realized like there were probably a bunch of other things I had done where like in that case, my manager son was like, oh, you could do it this way instead. And from one perspective, like I learn a lot from that. And from my manager's perspective, I just got a lot more efficient at my job. Right. So like with the catalog stuff, like with having a hard deadline, like if this isn't at the printers by this date, like tens of thousands of dollars are gone, hundreds of thousands in certain instances. So it was like, you need to get these layouts done on time. So here are some tricks where you can do to get this done better and quicker. So I think like it kind of just goes kind of both ways where it's like, all right, well, this is going to help me with this. But it helps my manager with this. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, because I thought this, I think a lot of people think that it's just like this big to do and it, it just like quietly happens everywhere. And that kind of like goes into like organizational behaviors and like I talk everyone's ear off about like fitting into like company cultures even as a freelancer like more likely than not you are working for entities and not individuals yeah um and so uh i i found that i love it which i think is very funny because all the like pop punk music we grew up li listening to is like, don't be like your dad. And I'm like, I'm in an office like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was just curious, kind of like how you thought it would go versus how it went like from beginning to today. So I totally thought I would always like my career is going to be in these like design agencies and like, it's going to be that cool, edgy designer. Um, I still like to think I'm edgy because of the amount of coffee I drink, but that's a different <laughs> story. Um, and I I really thought I was going to go like a branding or a visual route. I didn't even know that like the whole UX and UI thing was a thing until I started doing it. Mm -hmm. And I discovered a passion for that. And then I wound up being like, you know, I was working for a huge company when I started to make that transition. And then most of my jobs up until my current position, my, so my first job ever, the comic book publisher was a startup. My current job, I'm in like a creative agency. Everything in between there has been at very, very large global corporations. And I never thought that would be me <laughs> ever. Like I rock in there with like my tattoos, I got the piercings and I just, I'm like, I'm here to fuck shit up. <laughs> like <laughs> I have work to do, get out of my way. And like, you just kind of get in there. And for me, like, I was like, oh, I can really command a crowd in a presentation. Like my VP will be sitting in there and I can just like grab his attention and it works. And it's like, when you know what you're talking about, 
people are going to listen. And most of the time, like, I didn't think I knew what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, I always tell people, like, in the AIGA meetings, like, when I'm, like, emceeing those, I'll just, like, put my arm up and be like, does anyone else have, like, the anxiety sweats? <laughs> no? Okay, just me. But, like, I will be like that in a meeting, and I'm like, I am sweating bullets because I feel like I have no idea what I'm talking about. But somehow I do. And I don't know. I have this weird – I do this, like, subconsciously. I don't think about it. I can't do it when I think about it. But I get really confident in a boardroom. And I don't know where it comes from. And it's just a really weird thing. But, like, working in, like, a corporate setting gave me this weird – outlook on other ways I can use my creativity. Like I can solve organizational problems, even things where like, like how are we storing our files? Like how are we organizing this system? Like I can use my content hierarchy training on things like that. Right now, like we're switching over to a new like collaboration software and I'm sort of leading the charge on that. And it's like, I'm bringing all these UX heuristics and guides to the other design teams were working in responsive grids, which a lot of our designers are new to. So like I'm training them on these things. And it's like, you start to realize your creativity brings value to the company beyond just like the physical output of like, I made this website or I designed this logo or this ad, like your creativity brings more value to the company than just your final output on a project. And I think like that was a huge sticking point for me when I realized that. Say it louder for the people in the back, because I think I think creatives pigeonhole themselves on accident because we're taught to. We're told all our life, you're only making a pretty picture. You're only writing nice words. You're only taking a photo of something that takes a second and we know how much time and value that takes and what we had to go through to be able to look at it that way that quickly and potentially on demand but I think people really sell themselves short that like your mind is putting that together you have the ability to creative problem solve in a way a lot of people can't think outside of and I do that all day, whether I mean to or not, because I too am helping work on a collaborative software. And like, I know who I have to get what to, what input I need, how long that normally takes, how confusing it can get if it gets out of hand. I know my problems and I can find a visual, simpler way to like do that. But like my, my partners, like marketing wouldn't know any better because they don't have enough context and know-how for tools and I think that also goes for like careers because like you know you mentioned a bunch of um like creative agencies to place you for work and it's so valuable to have someone's job be to find you a job <laughs> yes and it, it was especially helpful in times where I'm like I need to find something quick mm -hmm. like they're doing part of the lifting for me I still have to look for things and things like that but like I know that like part of this is being taken care of. And like the other thing which like is interesting with this, this is something another creative told me and I had never thought about this until they mentioned it. And I was like, this is genius. <laughs> like, so let's say like, so I work in 
a, for a biopharma agency. So like, let's say I wanted, let's say I wasn't working in this industry. Let's say I wanted to work in this industry instead of going to network at events that are for designers where it's like, go to this design talk, go to this thing. Like, yeah, still do those things. But if you go to events in the industries you want to work in. So like, if I go to an event for like pharmaceuticals, cause I want to be a designer in that industry. There are almost no designers at those events. So when someone is hiring a designer and you throw your hand up, everyone wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. You stand out so much and it happens for any industry, travel, food, uh, fintech, sports, like any industry, because designers, we tend to, as creatives and designers, we tend to flock towards each other. We're like, I want to go to this creative event that's doing this really cool thing. I went to this meetup called Queer Tech Club for, you know, member people who are in tech that are part of the LGBTQ plus community. And almost everyone there was a developer. And it was great because like I would go as a designer and people would just want to pick my brains on it. So like go and mingle in unexpected spaces. Like I always, I think my thing with design is like you design shouldn't exist inside of a bubble, like pop that bubble. Well, and like we have more tools than ever to do that. And like, I remember being a baby designer coming out of school in like 2013 and just having no idea there was like a community, even though I was just in art school. I feel like I really missed the boat in art school because I was like working and like doing school a hundred times over and like all of that, that I never had time or I didn't make time to go to like the lectures to find people who were interested in the same kind of pieces of the art world that the lecture would have been talking about and all of that stuff. So when I got out into the world, I I didn't even know where to start. I just felt like I was holding a bunch of like useless artwork. I didn't know how to make money off of. And like, you know, Facebook groups were brand new. Then Instagram barely existed. Snapchat wasn't a thing. Like there was no way to find people. Lauren, we're old. We are. We're old. (laughs) But you know what? It took me, just like it sounds like it took you, it took me like six years to find my career job. And that's too long. That's bullshit. I don't like that. I don't. No one should have to go through that. Exactly. That's why I do the mentor thing. I'm like, I don't want people to struggle like I did. Like, you shouldn't have to work for $26,000 a year as a designer, as a creative. Like, never. It's bullshit. And, like, I couldn't tell you because, like, I have that episode about the salary guide that's from the creative group that finds creatives jobs and and companies have access to that document, too. They know how much we are worth, but they might, like, we might not know that and we get taken advantage of every single day for not knowing any better. And since I've said that and put that out there, I couldn't tell you how many people I know have come to me with questions about it because their next question is, how do I get up here? How do I negotiate this? And like, I'm happy to help anyone with a question like that. But it pisses me off how many people have that question because their companies, I mean, are doing what they're supposed to do, the cheapest labor for however long they can get it. But, you know, 
we we can all know better and there's no one organizing knowing any better and then you just like stumble into people like you might be lit at a rave and meet an eric and like find <laughs> all of these resources i didn't know and like it's it's amazing to me and i think a lot of people our age all the elder millennials <laughs> that are working are like this sucks i don't want this for anyone ever again exactly like i don't know it's just it's insane when i think about how much i was working when i was working as a designer and at starbucks basically both full time mm -hmm. like it's like this weird like form of just like i don't want to say there was trauma from it but it got to the point where like a weekend would hit and i would sleep for the whole weekend straight and like i didn't have time to take care of myself yeah, there was no time for Eric to enjoy being himself. Right, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even, I, the only, like, the reason why I picked a Starbucks was because I liked coffee. And I was like, you know what? I can save money on coffee if I work at a coffee shop. Yeah, it'll so, feed you. Yes. So, like, I would take my lunch from Starbucks every day. And, like, I wouldn't have to buy lunch. And it was, like crazy and i never want to have to live like that again yeah and that's also something else that like maybe we could touch on briefly because like you know audience eric and i hit our stride at the same time we just like happened to we started making the most money we've ever seen in our life we started working jobs we genuinely enjoyed and fulfilled our creative need and like it's just so wild and it's so nice to just have somebody who does what you do and like go be bougie ladies and like go out right. to eat a $60 dinner per person, which like when you start making actual money, like $60 could be your light bill, but we eat it. And it's right. really like, it was eating a lot of shit to get here. And it's just very, and then we went through the pandemic, which I also want to ask you a little more about, Yes, but like, it's just like it's worth its weight in gold when you figure out whatever that random puzzle is because it's going to be different for everybody but yeah and it's just so worthwhile to have somebody who understands how tough that was yeah and like all of those struggles like you realize how much you've learned from them it sucks when you're in it it really fucking sucks like there were days where i'm like I don't think I'm going to get out of bed today. Like, I'm just going to sit here. I don't want to do anyone. I don't want to see anyone. Like, I'm so fucking tired mm -hmm. that if someone talks to me, I'm just going to be like, shut the fuck up. And I'm like, and it was terrible to feel like that. Yeah. And it's like, that's what happens though. When you get so stressed out or when you're like overworked, when you're underpaid, when you're struggling with things in life and when you're struggling with things at work and they all kind of collide. Mm -hmm. And like, you can't, you can't remove yourself from those situations when you're in it. But now, like when I look back on those and I'm like, this is why I've been able to get where I am because mm -hmm. like all of this shit lit a fire under my ass. And then like one day I just decided I want this fire to be bigger. I need to go farther. So I just farted on the fire and it <laughs> shot me off like a rocket into where I am today. <laughs> and Like now I'm here. 
I think people underestimate that stuff. Because like when I went to LA, I would say it was the same thing. I went to a design job all day. I made $13 an hour living in Los Angeles. And I'd come home and I would contract Ruben the Snake out to like local rappers for my rent money. Like I, they asked me how much it cost. I said my rent and they didn't bat an eye. So I would do that. And then I'd be out from 11 to 4. And then I'd go back to my design job. And then I would pick up random garbage to do. I rented trucks to people. All sorts of stuff. To just like figure it out. And like I really don't think I slept that year. And that's when I started drinking coffee. I hadn't drunk in coffee until I was like 25. And like I just needed to stay awake. Because I'd work all day. And I'd stay up all night. And I maybe had a couple hours in the morning. And I definitely fell asleep in the bathroom a couple of times at work. Because like what was I doing? I was selling pins. I was hawking goods. I was selling artwork at local shops if i could like anything yes to make and, a dollar because i didn't have two pennies to pinch and the thing that happens with that too is like i feel like at work like in our day jobs right even if our lives are falling apart we are expected to be like this is good i'm great i'm able to focus i'm able to do all this and that's not reality hundred percent. Like it makes it so much harder mm-hmm. when you're trying to just like get through the day, but everything around you is a mess. And like when you can't sleep, it affects your job when you can't even like if you're sick, right. And if you can't afford to go to the doctor, yeah, like you can't function. And then it starts affecting everything in your life. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where it's like, like there's, I have weeks. There are weeks where I work 80 hours a week at my current job. I like to get shit done. And I'm really, really stubborn and have issues setting boundaries, which I'm working on with my therapist very heavily. Um, And I get that, like, my boss and my team are appreciative when I do that to get things done. But, like, this is not something that should be glorified or the norm. Like, no one should have to burn themselves out. Mm-hmm. just to get like some appreciation like i get it people work hard for things but you shouldn't like it shouldn't be the norm to work as hard as people have been yeah and that actually like segues really well into like the pandemic stuff because i feel like i'm still obviously we're all still like processing this <laughs> it's not like over by any means um and i i've been thinking a lot about everything you just said because like someday like one you're in your own home if you were fortunate to keep a job and work from home through the pandemic um there were days where i would just like lay in bed and i'm like if somebody needs me like i'll show up but like i can't oh my god i thought i was the only one and i felt so guilty about that (laughs) when that happened no i'm not joking man i was like laying in bed on tiktok blanket over my head just being like it is 2 p.m on a tuesday and i don't have the heart i don't have the brain i have nothing i can't be creative on demand today and there's no like deadline i'm missing there's no like i'm not leaving my team like out to dry by not sitting in front of my computer but we were so used to sitting in an office for like eight hours a day that and like pushing who we are every day and only bringing certain parts of ourselves into the office 
you're just home and a hundred percent you all day looking out a window being like what what is tomorrow do i have a tomorrow and like when that's your brain like that's like nuts and i'm sure everyone had a version of that so i'm really fascinated now to see like how people come back to work whether that's a hybrid model or in an office and even more so like emotionally like how we come back to work because some of my teammates who i i went through the whole pandemic with were starting to like one-on-one kind of open up a little bit about how hard it was and it explains a lot of behavior i've seen in like meetings in the past Um, but i was with the same people i was really fortunate and kept my job the whole pandemic but you were like bouncing around so i would love to know like kind of that experience because i'm sure a lot of people have a similar experience when i like we all kind of realized we were going to get let go at united before it happened i specifically remember the moment that set in for me um the other designer on my team she was brought on full-time like the week before shit went down so she just cleared like that which was amazing she messaged me and she's like hey, let me know when you're going to head into this meeting. And I'm like, I don't have a meeting on my calendar. And it was like a whole, she's like, oh, everyone in the company's on the meeting. And I'm like, I just turned to the contract and see with him, like, do you have a meeting on your calendar for like five minutes from now? He's like, no. And I'm like, my brain connected the dots at this point. And I'm like, I, I just didn't respond to the message. Oh, no. And I'm like, I, I knew this was coming, but like then the reality set in. And then we were told that like the Friday would be our last day. It was rough. It was really rough. I cried. I had worked so hard to get that job and I, I was loving it so much. And it just like hurt. I remember like when I left work that Friday, my boyfriend stopped by my office and met like me on the street corner and like, I just hugged him for a long time because mm-hmm. I was just like, at that time I didn't have savings. I had yeah. like nothing in my savings account. So I was like, what am I going to do? Shit. Well, and you were on like a stride. Like I think a lot of us, a lot of elder millennials, <laughs> we were on a huge stride in our life. And then that just fucking hit us in our face. Right. And it, it was awful because like, I emptied out a retirement fund to create a savings account for myself. Mm. So like I did that. I got unemployment for a while. I found a new job, which was great. But like ever since that happened, like I, it's been really hard to shake the feeling that I'm going to be fired at any moment. Mm -hmm. Like there have been days where that feeling got so strong that like I couldn't work. I would just sit at my desk at home and be like, oh my God, I used like the wrong color on this. I should have used this color instead. I'm going to get fired over this. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even for anything like going live or anything. It was just like really basic thing. Like every little detail started to feel like it was going to be the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And like, that's where the pandemic really got to me because like I had a period to where like, it was just very hard to do everyday things. Like even going to the grocery store felt like a lot of work. 
Um, there were times like the depression den kicked in in my apartment and it would just be like, I'm just going to throw my dirty clothes on the floor. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it just, it got really rough and it was really hard to focus and still a little bit like now everyone, I, I'm better at like the feeling like I'm not going to get fired every day now mm-hmm. kicks in once in a while. But like, I think given the fact that like I was just trapped with my thoughts all the time, at home with the pandemic and it wasn't even like I could easily, it wasn't even like, Oh, let me go and just stay at my parents' house for like a week and just get into a different physical space. I couldn't go sit in a coffee shop. I couldn't go and do any of the things that I used to cope with my anxiety. Mm -hmm. I had to just sit with it. The best thing I had was like my gecko Mm -hmm. and he would just climb on my hands and that would take my mind off things. But like, I just felt trapped yeah. in my head and I hated it and it messed with everything. It almost made it feel like it made it difficult to like go for the jobs I wanted. when like I got this full-time offer, I almost hesitated to do any negotiating. Cause I'm like, I should just take this because like, I'm really lucky. Yeah. I, it's the, yeah. I should be so lucky thing that like, I think keeps a lot of creatives specifically like, stunted and you know i think it's really like nice to hear you like say all of those things because i think so many people just quietly kept that to themselves and still are because that's the conditioning and it's just like i was under the covers i was crying at my desk some days and i was like this is ridiculous i'm crying at my desk i don't need to be at a desk to cry i can just go do something somewhere else right i can go talk to my roommate Sometimes I would tell my coworkers I was leaving the day for the day. Most of the time I wouldn't. And I bet you so many people did that. And I know a lot of people too, who are just like, I feel like I'm going to get fired at any moment. Cause it doesn't matter how hard you worked. You lost your job. Right. And it like, I don't know. It just like, like adds up with things. Mm-hmm. And like, there were times too, like at work, like I'll tell my boss, I'll be like, Hey, my anxiety is very high today. And there's a lot of times it's not triggered by anything at work. Like I just have days where my anxiety is through the roof mm-hmm. and I'll be like, I'm going to block out like this chunk of time on my calendar. So people aren't messaging me. People aren't setting up meetings, but I'm like, if you need me to be in a meeting during this time frame, tell me like, you can message me and say that I'm like, I'm just blocking it out to like, guard my time a little bit and so I can have some time to just focus on my work without being pulled out of it because that'll help but like I think like being open with things like that at work has helped me out a lot too because it's also like my boss can be like you know he can point things out and he'll be like look you have a tendency to put the blame on yourself when things go wrong on a project even when they're not your fault And he was like, I'm going to, he's like, I'm taking aside any, like, he's like, take any, like, you know, extra emotions or anything out of this comment. Like, we're just, he's like, what can happen is people are going to start to struggle to give you feedback because they're afraid that you're going to think you're messing everything up Mm -hmm. and that you're not going to be able to listen to the feedback on things. And I was like, that really, yeah, you have a really good boss for being able to word that like that and like call that out like that's awesome yes and he was like i understand you're anxious right now and like just try to listen to this if you can step outside of that mindset for 10 seconds 
as like that helped me stop blaming myself for things mm -hmm. because I was like, yeah, I don't want that. Like I want yeah. people to give me feedback. That's yeah. how I do my job. So it was just like, it's things like that where like it helped pulls me out of my head. Yeah. And I think too, even as coworkers, we can start like, we know each other if you're coworkers with people. And I think like something I'm trying to actively do is not be like negative Lauren in my head. And I'm trying to like say positive things more to the people I work with because the most valuable thing one of my coworkers said to me is like, you're being too hard on yourself. Like this is good work. And I think that's the number one thing we all want to hear. Yes. And so like just those little things, like, cause it, it costs nothing to compliment your coworker and it just builds up everyone's confidence, which I don't care who you are or how experienced you are after this whole pandemic, we all need that yes. if we're going to keep working in this capacity, which we yes, will. We so uh, be an empathetic coworker, everybody. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> <laughs> but man, we covered so much cool stuff in this. I love this. This is great. <laughs> I'm sitting here with Eleanor the chameleon and Brian the beta, <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm good. I feel like we could talk forever, but I have no idea how long we have been talking and my computer's going to die soon. I think it's I th been a little over an hour. Okay. That's so. perfect. That's great. Yes. But, um, you know, maybe we'll do another part two with you some other time because there's so much. There's so much we could talk about. We didn't even talk about mentorship stuff or any of that, but um, we can get into all that. Yeah. We could definitely dive in. Um, but I think for now, this is great. I love this. I'm excited to share this as especially like the first one for the month. You're number one. Uh, the test dummy. <laughs> Put me in the Jeep and crash me into the brick wall. Please oh, do I'm that. Gonna. Please do that. That I'm, would be that would be helpful. I'm doing it. I'm doing yeah. it right now. I'm gonna. <laughs> but um, unless you have any like ending advice for everybody or like maybe a recommendation of if you're new, like where you can kind of start to look for your people. I can maybe put some links in the descriptions of everything. Um, I, I, I kind of put you on the spot for that, but do you have anything? <laughs> um, I would say like my ending piece of advice, and this comes from my like never ending imposter syndrome, as I call it, you know more than you think you do. And you might not realize it until you start like saying things to other people and teaching them about what you do. And all of a sudden you're like, I didn't know I knew that. A hundred percent. Yeah. And as for meeting your people, um, I used AIGA that helped me. The mentor program was great. Um, I would say like, look for meetups, look for groups, even just reach out to people that like, well, I reached out to a founder of uh, 8-Bit Studios here in Chicago. His name's Don. I reached out to him on LinkedIn one time, and he ended up hosting like our mentor program at one point. And now he and I have beers like once in a while. We just hang out. But like, just reach out to people that like I like the studio he worked with. Like, reach out to people. Just talk to them. Be like, hey, can we have like a virtual coffee? And I just want to pick your brain on this. And like, just be upfront with your intent of like what you want to know, because it'll make it easier for someone to be like, oh, yeah, cool. I can spare 15 minutes and talk about that with you. Mm -hmm. But like, don't be afraid to reach out to people. Nice. Yeah, I think that's 
That's what everybody, that's what everybody tells me. <laughs> I just drink an extra cup of coffee when I'm scared to do that. And I'm like, all right, I don't, I can't have anxiety if I'm over caffeinated, which is not true at all. <laughs> yeah. But I like to believe that lie. Well, that, that's a lie I live. So great. I love it. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Well, Thank you for coming over to my house and having a virtual interview with me in two different rooms and just being my guinea pig and offering all of your input. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, with that, everybody, Eric and I are going to sign off. 